Hello, and welcome to The Unconventional Path, Entrepreneurship and Innovation Stories and Ideas. I'm Bela Musitz. And I'm Mike Wasserman. Today's guest on the podcast is Stephen Barden. He is a specialist in organizational leadership and strategy. Stephen has worked with board-level leaders to help them and their successors develop and initiate strategies that benefit and sustain the entire organization. He has worked with clients in Europe, the United States, the UK, and Africa. He is also an author of a new book called How Successful Leaders Do Business with Their World. Bela, you know I'm always interested and always a little skeptical of this whole coaching industry, right? Um, lots of people need coaching, certainly. Um, and there's a lot of different approaches to coaching. You and I have had several coaches on the show in the past. Um, so it's interesting to hear on the different angles on uh, how people think they can make be people better leaders or better managers or better human beings or whatever it is they want to improve in people and people want to improve in themselves. So I'm always a little curious as to, you know, when you bring these guests on, these coaches, Okay, what is your what are you coaching me about, right? And what's your style? And wh where's the wh where's the uh, the research to back it up? But I count on you, Bela, to ask good questions to figure this out. So let's get right to your interview with Stephen Barden. Sounds good, Mike. Hi, Stephen. How are you? I'm very well, Bela. How are you? Yeah, pleasure to meet you. Hey, I'm really interested in uh, talking about your book uh, when we dive into this uh, in a little bit. But here's my first question for you. So if you're at a non-work-related social event and you get introduced to someone, and after that introduction, they say to you, oh, very nice to meet you, Stephen. What do you do? How do you answer that question? Yeah, I, the problem is, you know, stopping them from glazing over and falling asleep into the soup, isn't it, really? Um, <laughs> yes. I normally say, look, you know, I'm, I'm a, a coach mentor. And I work with uh, companies and I work with senior leaders in institutions and companies and I focus on on strategy and culture. OK. And then they fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then they if move on. Solution, that's exactly what <laughs> yeah. they do. Oh, lovely. They move on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit. Uh, let's peel that onion back one layer. What does that what you just said? What does that mean? That means I do a number of things, but I'm called in, if you like, to do a number of things uh, or one of a number of things. One is I, I will be called in to coach a, a, a senior leader, a, 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 probably at the board level or just, be, just below the board level, to get them to improve their, uh, their way of managing if you like, the way of leading. And that normally, and we'll, we, we can go into that later, that normally works on that, the model that I developed from my research and, 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 from the, and, and then expanded in the book later on. So it's straight coaching. Here we go. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's who, is, who is chief executive of Blah Blah Firm. Uh, we'd like you to, to come in and help him work with him as a coach and as a mentor because there's the, the two things separately. So I will work with the team as well. I will work with the team in a similar sort of way to get them to, to work. The other thing which I do like very much doing is aligning is aligning culture. Uh, and and again, you know, if, if you want to go into it later on, I, I have a, a basic foundation of, of, that culture in an organization cannot be 
wishfully imposed or cannot be, you can't put a culture in unless it aligns completely with the strategy and the goals and the purpose of the organization. You know, if you try, if, it, it, I, I, I sort of um, semi-cynically say, if you know, if you're creating a, a company of snipers, you don't want their culture to be one of compassion and love, et cetera, et cetera. Similarly. Yeah, it, it, it is amazing how those, how, how it's really, really important and critical for those two things to, to align or at least be pointing in the same direction, yeah. right? Yeah. And, it, and it often amazes me how in, in some organizations, the, the, uh, what they say to the outside community, but the way they behave internally is like diametrically opposed. <laughs> it's remarkable yeah. to me. It's interesting, isn't it? During the, and I'm sure you came across this as well, during the, uh, and pre to the financial crash, you know, 2009, 2010 financial crash, there were so many investment banks who had in their, in their, their values and in their culture, and they talk about it as integrity and, you know, the yes. customer comes yes. first. And yes. the other one was, of course, team spirit, always team spirit. And yes. I remember going into a bank, into an investment bank, and on the floor, on the floor of the, of the marketplace, there was the, a trader and a salesman on the floor beating each other beating each other up they hated each other. because of yeah. course they were separate they, they were there was no team spirit there was no there was no integrity and of course all those all those products that they were you know the cdos that were created were basically based on a floor on floors that had no integrity yeah. but yeah so Stephen, i find this <clears throat> this also interesting if, if you look at sport any type of sport even at a young age when you're first starting you have a coach and and mm -hmm. even the most advanced people, the people at the top of their game, have coaches. And and in business, we tend to shy away from that. What why why is that? Why isn't that, you know, every business person should have a coach? Uh, but they don't. And can you can you expound on that a little bit? I think there is a number of things. One goes into what I talk about in terms of you know having having a a a balanced assumption of the of a balance of power between yourself and the world, which again we, we can talk about. I think the other one is that there is such a drive in business and in and in, in corporate world at the moment that of this fallacy that the leader at the top is is basically the the champion and is solitary. And if it's not, if he's not, and it's not just, the, and of course that then permeates down. So if that leader at the top is solitary and is, you know, leading from the front, uh, I have to prove myself. I have to, you know, the first hundred days, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, that fairly macho, and it, it macho both for male and female, by the way, uh, assumptions that they that they go in. Then having a coach, they think, ah, uh, what this guy's going to try and teach me. This guy's going to try and teach me, whereas an athlete will say, I have a problem with the way I'm, you know, swinging the driver. I'm going with the driver now or or, or, or or running or keeping my elbows in when I'm sprinting. This guy can teach me now. This guy can show me what I'm doing. The, 
the, the business leaders tend to see it a as a challenge to the authority not all of them b i don't have the time i don't have the time i'm simply do not have the time and i say to the guys you'll have even less time if you don't <laughs> if you don't yeah. work with the coach yeah yeah I, I always thought that right. was an and interesting I think there's a, dichotomy. There's a natural drive. It is, of course, you know, it's not everyone. And of course, I, I have I have many clients who 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 have don't have this, and of course, come and see the benefit. And that's why that's why they're clients of mine. But um, you're right. One is exercising, understanding that they're exercising a muscle or changing a bad habit. The other one doesn't see it there. The other yeah. one sees it as a threat. Yeah. Yeah, I always thought that was an interesting dichotomy, because they're they're yeah. both professions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and absolutely. but just one of them embraces it, and and the other one sort of shuns it practically. Yeah, yeah. And it's an interesting thing, isn't it? That that the athlete does see what they're doing. I think I may be wrong here. Let's just let me just throw it out and tell me what you think. Athletes do see what they're doing as a job. In other words, I have to, I have to be as fit as possible to run 200 meters. I, I have to be as fit as possible to make sure that I'm going to get over three days of playing golf on the, on, the, on the course. It is a job. That's what I have to do. And corporate leaders tend to put a whole lot of other things into it like you know i'm proving myself or i or people will think less of me if or i'm being judged every time i go out onto the floor or rather than focusing on the job mm. you're doing a job leadership yeah. is a job for me yeah i i think the other as you were saying that i was thinking this notion that uh in sport you get immediate feedback on your performance. As a leader, yeah. you don't. And 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 yeah. oftentimes, if you do get feedback, it is uh, may not be accurate feedback. <laughs> it, it may be telling you what you want to hear. Whereas in golf, you you hit the ball, you immediately you know whether you hit it well or not, <laughs> right? So I think that's another interesting yeah. thing. Sort of in business, the yeah. feedback cycle, the feedback loop. Is is has a much larger time constant in it than in than in sport. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, and therefore the vulnerability is level is higher, if you like. Yeah, if they, they do, there is they are more likely to feel vulnerable and therefore therefore threatened because yeah. that cycle is longer. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely correct on that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. So let's talk about your book a little bit. the The title of the book is how successful leaders do business in their world. So talk mm -hmm. to us a little bit about that. It's basically the the uh, the book comes out of the research that I did for a, a, a late in life um, doctoral thesis, doctoral research program. And I'll give you the the longish, but not the long story. If you start me, so, and again, as I said, you know, if you see me go down a rabbit hole, do try and pull me out of this one. But basically, the, it came out of this research. I did a doctoral research program in which I was, because I had been a CEO uh, and had been in senior management for 10, 15 years before I went became a coach, and then when I'd been coaching for about, uh, I suppose, five, ten years. When I 
I thought I need to try and sort of consolidate some of my learning. And one of the things that I was really fascinated about was how do leaders experience their learning? They experience from the inside, so the input, right, from the inside. We, we, we could get it from autobiographies, but actually we know that public figures are very rarely vulnerable, very rarely admit their, their confusion and not knowing things. They always put, we'll put, we all put part of our, our world into our lives into, into some sort of coherent narrative. So that didn't work for me. Biographies didn't work either. So long story short, I then selected a group of um, CEOs with significant and significant authority and objectively judged as being successful. And by success, I meant that they were able to bring, they had brought their organizations closer to their purpose and their, their, their strategy and were able to do so on a, on a sustainable basis. And I don't mean the, the, um, the ecological sustainable basis. They were able to do it again and again and again and again. Right. So they would continue. And they didn't. That was the other thing I put in terms of success. They managed to keep a sort of balance of interest of all the stakeholders. So therefore, if if I had been, say, a CEO of, a, of an investment bank and I only looked after my shareholders. I had not succeeded because somebody was going to suffer. So it was going to be lopsided. So there was success. I decided quick. I selected them according to that. I selected them according to the fact that they had significant power to change they change their their organizations if they wanted to. And I um and I and I approached them and I approached initially politicians at cabinet level, um, CEOs of both public and private organizations and nonprofit and profit. And they were based in the States, they were based in in Europe, mainland, and they were based, one was based in China and in, in Europe. Um, and I also did, I also got uh, academics, both um, university presidents, uh, college presidents, and, and, and um, people who had made significant changes and contribution to the academic, to the academic world. So, musing story, all of them, by the way, I said, I want you to be anonymous, completely anonymous, because I don't want you to want to defend anything. And everything that we do, we, I will record interviews with you. I will then send them, send them to you so that we can work. And as I'm theming and getting all the stuff, we will, um, you will be there all the time agreeing with what I'm saying. Right. So I've got that there. And I said, um, anonymous, nobody will ever know who you are uh, and you will have, you will be well disguised. So the politicians, everybody else, I got some really good response from, from, from academics and really good academics. I mean, they were really in the top class. You would recognize them all if they were. And um, business people, the, the corporate leaders, very, all of them said, thank you very much. We'll do it. And um, then it came to the to the politicians. Now I I had met a number of these politicians, and those that I hadn't met, I had provided them with a referee, saying, you know, Biden is is not a complete washout. He he isn't. He does know what he's doing, and you can trust him. But I did not get, as I say in the book, 
I didn't get a cold shoulder. I got no shoulder at all, nothing. I didn't even get a response. It, got, it was so puzzling because I had contacted people in Europe, I contacted people in the UK, and I contacted, I think one was in the US as well, nothing. And they were the only ones who didn't. And I think that for me said that, you know, politicians tend to be, feel really, really vulnerable and, and therefore don't want any of that. Anyway, what I did was I then got, um, I then was introduced to a number of uh, generals, uh, military generals, uh, in in uh, the UK and in um, a, and in Europe, and then we we worked together. And I interviewed them over a period of three to four years, and uh, those interviews lasted anything from three to seven hours. And I kept on, you know, the, the process. The process for those who are interested and um, hopefully not was basically uh, grounded theory, where you use only the data that's provided to you. Rather, you don't add any other your interpretation, but you don't um, you know, the data that's given to you. So I, I interviewed, and as I was interviewing them, my first thing was to try and find out how they experienced their learning as they got, as they were climbing to their top positions. They were all in these top positions, and as they and while they were there, the fire, as it were. And I don't know if you've ever had this when you're when when you're interviewing when you're doing research and you suddenly you find the research is sort of almost unpassionate. It's dry. It's you know it's quite thin. So when I was talking to them about this stuff, it you know of their their work, it was quite thin. But they kept on throwing open these windows, telling me about their childhood. So when you know, would say when I was a child, you know, my my mother said I could cure cancer at the age of four and a half. When I was a child, I was I used to make deals with the school bullies so that, you know, they would look after me in exchange for me doing their homework. When I was a child, they put me in a class of uh, by mistake of of uh, of uh, remedial, remedial class and they kept on throwing this out. So I eventually took the bait and started talking, asking them about that. And I realized as we were working and as we were going through this theme, I realized and, and they realized actually, because we kept on being fed back to them, that as they had been exploring their lives, their, their as children, when they were young, very young children, they were exploring their environments and their families to try and learn how to manage their world, if you like, they had come up with a with with a foundational assumption, and it was a very powerful assumption, that they and their world were in sort of pretty manageable balance. The power balance between them and their world is pretty manageable. If you like, if you take an axis of, of, of power on the left-hand side being, uh, you know, it, where I, my assumption is, oh God, the, 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 the world is so powerful, I'm going to be, it's either going, I'm either going to be in endless battle with this world of mine, or I'm just going to hide from it. And I think that's where, you know, with children which are, have been abused or have been uh, have been over-controlled. On the other side, you've got, which I assume royalty will be part of it, the world is so inferior to me that, you know, all I'm going to be doing is yoking it to my command, right? Both those extremes I call having an oppositional assumption. The world and they are in opposite camps. So they're going to be competing and they're going to be, you know, jostling and trying to try. The sweet spot is that middle spot. 
and these guys were in the middle spot and these they were so they they um they learned how to what i call here do business with their world you know they learned how to deal with it they learned how to manage it one of the the, the wonderful things that they have about it uh, is that they they don't see you know when they when when they have a problem when they when they have a, a, a even a tragedy they don't go oh good heavens the world is against me i'm battling against the world. they see it as a problem that they either manage or they don't full stop you know um now on top of this they then i after the research we realized that what they what they'd all done was built up a set of behaviors it's not it's not the trait the trait concept of leadership it's it's assumptions viewpoints perceptions of the world tools if you like that help that reinforced this balanced power structure yeah and helped them to get through so it just strengthened it and strengthened it and my assumption is in fact, from experience as well, from uh, uh, from from further work, is that the other extremes also build up this tool, this set of tools, and their set of tools is to consolidate this competitiveness or this subservience or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So, and so those, for, let me ask a question. So, yeah. with these findings, yeah, how do you then take those findings and use them in coaching and helping? executives who who may uh, did, may, maybe didn't figure these things out when they were young young individuals yeah 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 absolutely and by the way I, I, i'm aware as i you know as i as i'm talking that the language i'm using is one of theory and it's this is immensely applicable there's only one reason there's only one reason leaders do things you know prepare themselves is to act this is all about acting this is all about putting it in the business so i do it I work in, in 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 let's talk two two ways in this case. One is when I'm coaching an individual, an individual um, leader. What I do is I interview them. I first of all I interview them. Um, let me give you the top line. I can I will apply it either to help a leader become more alert, more cooperative, more partnering with the world rather than trying to prove themselves less ego, if you like, um, more working for the organization. We'll either do that to help them to do that, or I will do also help organizations when they're recruiting. So when they're recruiting, you know, they may, the person may have all the skills, may have all the, the history, may have all the experience, but you don't know how they're going to treat people and how they're going to work when they come in. This tells you how they're going to treat people, whether they're going to treat the others as competitors, enemies, you know, on that scale, or whether they're going to be cooperative and, and work with them. So I, my, the process that I do is very similar to actually what I went with the, with the, um, with the research. I, I interview them massively in depth, three hours, sometimes four hours, go analyze it, feed it back to them saying, this is what I've got. I will benchmark them against these these um, tools, ten tools that this that my original lot and ongoing, by the way, lot use as well. And then we will say, okay, so this is what's required for your job. This is the 
this is the, this these are the skills these are the attitudes that required for this job let's see how it measures up you create a gap a gap analysis a non-financial gap analysis if you like and that's when i and then i coach to strengthen mm -hmm. okay and so can can you give a uh you know, protecting, taking all the names out, but can you give an example mm -hmm. of how someone transformed themselves having, having gone through this process? Maybe someone who didn't have the skills uh, and, and, and you know, was really struggling and then having spent some time with this, with these tools, uh, was able to emerge on the other side uh, uh, much, much more appropriately equipped to be able to deal with the world or their world? Yeah, I think the one I'm thinking of um, is, is that th there was a very traditional manufacturing uh, leader that uh, I encountered who had come from, again, a very top-down type of, type of organization, worked in a number of organizations, always within the engineering within the engineering milieu and he had simply not even not even considered that this was a way of that, that there was an mm. alternative way of working it was a case of you know what do you do how high you know if you want me to jump i'll jump you want otherwise and that's transferred down so when i then pointed out that there was you know that within you have traditional engineering manufacturing organizations which do not require innovation that may work where you have innovation that's not going to work because yeah. you need to be able to to harness those resources so again what we did was was we went through this process and and then i did did two things one he said okay what i want to do is to change the the culture of the entire organization to align with what we need to do now and he was one of the success stories from that. He was one of the success stories in that the organization has transformed itself from being a traditional uh, engineering organization focused on, 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 on routine manufacturing, if you like, to being a, an immensely innovative organization. And he is very, very, very alert to not only what's going on around his organization, but to his own behavior as well. Um, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by culture, uh, in, in organizations and, and the challenges in, in, in moving a culture from position A to position B and, and, and sort of what set of tools do you think about, uh, that a leader can use to help make that happen? I think there are a number of things, and, and they're, funnily enough, some of these tools are in this in this model that I was talking about. But let's just forget about that. There's a number of things. I think for a start, a leader and the leadership need to understand a number of things. Culture cannot be changed or, or yeah, cannot be changed in an organization unless it is aligned to the real purpose and strategic goals of, of an organization. And by strategy, I take a, a very broad view and quite a, a detailed view of, of strategy. That's number one. 
Number two, culture cannot center around the leader or even the leadership. They can be the role models of it, but it has to permeate throughout the entire organization. And, and there are no shortcuts in, in my experience. There are no shortcuts. You will get, I've had, I've had clients who say, I want, to, I want the culture change. You go through the process and then halfway through, they say, well, we've done it, haven't we? We've got middle management. It's all there. We don't need to do anymore. And you know, yes, you do. Actually, yes, you do. You have to go down there. So it's got to permeate and it's got to be able to, to become part of the weft and weave of the organization, I think. So I think one of the tools is understand and know and, and review, even if you've done it, you've done your strategic exercise, review exactly what is your purpose and what is the purpose of this organization? What is its strategic goals? It's what resources are you going to do are you do you use to achieve those strategic strategic goals and and both internal and external? What are your products? What are your services, et cetera, et cetera? And then yeah. you basically say, okay, so what are the behaviors, the strengths, the attitudes, et cetera, that I need to be able to achieve those goals, to, to be able to get it forward? And if those are the behaviors, some should say, how can I, how do I then encapsulate them in a set of behaviors that can be repeated and repeated and repeated? How do I do that? And then once that is, and, and that doesn't, can't just, that's got to be accepted and socialized throughout yeah. the organization. Yeah. You know, you get so many of them, don't you? You get so many of them who start at the top and they go, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to hammer it on the wall again, right. you know, but during the bad old days, seeing them, these cast in stone on the wall as you came in. They've got to be accepted by people right down to the, to the, to the, the, the factory floor level or wherever you're going to be, you know, it's got to be right down there. And then once that has happened, once that is socialized and people accept and understand what these, 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 uh, the, the codified, if you like, um, uh, culture is, then it's a case of then getting them to use that. And that's important. Yeah. Use the behaviors to promote your work, to do your work, to do the job. Don't just use them in, uh, in, in the tea room, but actually you're saying, this is, good for the, this is good for this company. This is good for the work, so use it. Use this behavior, use this stuff. It takes time, it takes patience. I have found in my, I don't know what have you've seen it, have you experienced, but I found when I do this sort of stuff, 90% of the people go, yep, that's great. That's exactly what we want. And they go in and then halfway through, they go, eh, we're not going to go in below right. this level. Not to the not to the analysts and the coders. Let's not do that. Let's just, I think that's basically it. And I think the other bit that I said about lead, it cannot rotate about the leaders, is because, you know, leaders come and go. You know, you and I know that, the, what is it, the, the, the lifespan of, of, of top leaders is, is sort of five years in the, in the company. Once they yeah. go, if they go, it'll weaken the whole, the whole culture. Like, you, you need to, to broaden it outside. Yeah. Uh, so th there's, there's two, another two interesting aspects of this that I think about. One is this notion of changing culture with the existing employees uh, of, in the organization. And then there's hiring, bringing in new individuals. 
And how do you, do you have any thoughts on if there's a certain culture, type of culture I want to achieve in an organization, and if I'm the hiring manager, what type of people do I want to look for? What are some of the characteristics that I want to look for in individuals if I want to achieve this culture? I think, and let me throw it out here, and, and, and it'd be lovely to, to, to see what you think. I think, in my view, my experience there is, A, I, I will do that type of exercise that I talked about, you know, um, judging yes. from, the, from the, uh, the navigational stance, and that's, so I will do that sort of exercise. But the other thing is, if you have created a culture or you're in the process of, of developing a culture, and of course, it's, it, you're always going to be in the process of developing, aren't you? It's never going to end. If you are in that process and you have, say, you know, cooperative behavior, um, working, understanding if you've got multiple suppliers and you need to be have, uh, understand, uh, uh, you know, the other cultures in the other countries, etc. Certain behaviors you've identified, you've identified these behaviors, then I think you need to be able to then, when you're when you're interviewing, find out what this person's behaviors are like in in very specific ways. Number one. Number two, in my view, you need to be very careful about where do they come from, what sort of organization they come from. Because if they come from a very rigid organization, they've had significant influence in that rigid organization, are they going to hang on to that success and say, well, it worked there, I'm damned yeah, if it's not right. going to work here. Right. So you've got to be quite, I think you've got to be, the time where we, we we looked at somebody's CV, you know, did a did a quick check on them, made sure they'd had no criminal record, and right. and said, oh yeah, well they worked in the industry, they were that level. I think that's gone if you want to make sure that you're you're preserving your culture or developing yeah. a culture. Yeah, excellent, excellent points, Stephen. We've been chatting for over thirty minutes. Uh, where can people find out about your book and find out more about you? What a lovely question. Thank you very much. The book is called How Successful Leaders Do Business With Their World. And it's uh, it, basically you can get it anywhere. If, if you want to look at it, you can get it anywhere on, on Amazon or any any bookstores. Uh, you can also find out more about me on um, my website, which is www.stephenbardenalloneword.org not .com, but .org. And um, LinkedIn is a good place because I post a number of articles on LinkedIn all the time. And and and, but, and I also have a, a podcast, which is on all the usual sites and all the usual places. And it's called The, the Power of Balance. Excellent. So I do Excellent. some podcasts as well. Well, I will make sure all that information is in the show notes. Now for my last question, is is there anything that I haven't asked you uh, that I should have or that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think I think this has been a lovely conversation. I've enjoyed it very much. Wow. <laughs> I don't think there is. <laughs> well, I, I have enjoyed it also immensely and uh, really uh, uh, was was fun getting to know you and and some of your philosophies and the great research you've done. Thank you very much for being on the podcast, Stephen. Thank you, Bella. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
All right, Bela, so the skeptic in me says, yeah, interesting conversation, okay? And you said it fantastically that everybody needs coaching, right? Every company should probably offer some coaching support resources. And I was thinking about, as I was listening to the interview, Bela, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. This is something that everybody should have access to. And now Stephen has kind of a, I would call it a unique take on coaching. What struck you about his approach um, to the topic? Yeah, so... <clears throat> I, I, I found it an interesting conversation. And I think to, to me, it sort of helped reinforce the, the notion of the importance of culture. And we've talked about culture of an organization in the past numerous times. And that as a leader of an organization, you have the opportunity to help define and shape the culture. Uh, and if you don't, it will just happen on its own. So I think not only do you have the opportunity, you also have the responsibility. And, and figuring out how to do that, I think, is always a challenge uh, in any organization. Uh, so I, I think this notion of sort of being uh, definitive about it um, to, to, to say that, hey, look, th this is who we are. This is how I want us in the business to feel about the business and to think about the business. And if that works for you as an employee, that's great. And if it doesn't work for you, that's okay too, right? You need to go find another opportunity. And, and I think this responsibility exists on both, you know, the, the leader's side to be clear about it and to define it and on the employee side. I mean, I, as an employee, when I, when I go to interview for jobs and stuff, I always think about, okay, how does this place feel to me? What vibrations am I feeling as I walk the halls? And that has just a big influence in, in whether I decide I want to work there. Because I think this notion of, of that feeling or culture, whatever you want to call it, the vibrations you get, is really, really important. And, and it, it, either, it either motivates you more, it makes you feel better and happier about your life and your business and what you're doing and your work or it doesn't. <laughs> and, and I don't want to work in a place where I'm not happy. So that's, that's sort of how I think about it, Mike. How, how about you? I, Bela, I couldn't agree with you more um, about the importance of culture, but I would argue, <clears throat> or I could argue that there's not just one culture at an organization, that there's a bunch of different cultures within an organization, and that culture isn't this kind of monolithic thing that you can say, here are the 10 things that we stand for, and this is the sum total of your interactions with your peers and with the organization itself. Stephen implied, and you're kind of implying too, that there's this overarching single culture in a company that, um, that leaders should be managing, right? That leaders should be influencing. Um, I don't disagree with this, but I think there's some different ways of looking at it. And I think there's always some in-groups and some out-groups. And I think culture is a lot more um, changeable and dynamic than sometimes we think it is. Um, what are the ways that you've seen in your experiences that leaders can define a culture in an organization, um, as you said, and, and tie together some of what I will argue are the subcultures within any organization? What are the common threads right, that you see? What are the levers that, that work? And I, I completely realize that a lot of this is situational based, contingent based, right? That what works in one company isn't gonna work in another company, even if it's the same manager. But what are some of the general approaches that you see? So uh, I, I think this comes down to basic, fundamental, human principles like respect, 
and listening and being open to other opinions and and agreeing to disagree, but then moving on. Uh, I I think I think that's what that's what enables because what when these subcultures develop, and you're absolutely right, every organization has a whole bunch of different cultures and cliques or whatever you want to call them, right? And and leaders and subleaders and 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 hopefully not subversive. <laughs> And and that's what you want to prevent. You 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 want to prevent something, or you don't want something to happen that's that's going to going to pull the organ, start dividing the organization. You don't want to be divisive. So you got to figure out how to be inclusive. Uh, listen to people uh, with sincerity, and 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 try to incorporate their needs, wants, and desires into the organization. And, and and I think that's that's very difficult to do. It's very challenging, right? But I think you also you have to be clear about what what are the goals of the organization. You know, if we're a if we're a homeless shelter, then we have certain goals we're trying we're trying to achieve as an organization. If I'm a for profit software consulting business, I sort of have a different set of objectives. So you have to be clear about that. And 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 I think w- once you're clear about that. What's below that is this respect and listening and understanding and all of those things. And, and, and also being transparent to say that, you know, you know what, Mike, this isn't working. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I think you should think about doing other things. Because and let me help you, right? Let me help let you me figure help that you. out. Yeah, I'm let, happy I'm not, to, I, I'm not say, doing this out of malice. I just think right. it's not working for either of us, right? Right. That, that goes back to the respect, right? Yep. It's it's not working for either of us. And being upfront and, and not just say, okay, Mike, it's Friday afternoon at five o'clock. Don't come back to work Monday. Take everything right. with this you. This is ridiculous, right? right? You have one hour, right? Or 30 right. minutes. And here's the security that, guard, right? Right. That's that's not what I'm talking about. But, but I think all of those things breed a healthy culture. I don't know. That's that's sort of what, as you asked that question, what rattled around in my brain. Yeah, but I think you hit it right in the head. I love what you said, Bela. But it's this is different than what a lot of I think the the coaching courses and what a lot of coaches talk about. But I think Stephen was right with this emphasis on culture. But I think it's this individual approach to coaching that we're all different and we all have our strengths and weaknesses. And to me, um, it's great that business people have somebody to bounce these ideas off, to get some feedback from, um, to vent to, right? And to right. reorient their cost, their compass when times are tough. And it, focusing on being a better listener and being empathetic and looking at things from different perspectives and trying to find how you can help employees be their best, right? By giving them new challenges and giving them opportunities and also being fair to people who it's not a good fit to and walking them through the process of trying to get better and fix it. And when that doesn't work, to to help them go do something different. Right. I, you know, I think this is at the end of the day, a lot of the marks of what great leaders are. And people say, oh, you know what? I didn't agree with this people, this person, this leader, this boss that I had, um, but I feel like they cared about me as a person, right? I got fired, right? But I got fired fairly, right? And they were really nice about when I got fired. And I appreciate that. Right. It doesn't always work right. that way, right? But I think that the times that I've seen it work, these are great leaders get people, you know, again, motivated to do great things, but they also do the the dirty work, right? Of helping people do a better job or when they can't do a better job to, to help them find another opportunity somewhere else. Right. Um, so it's all wrapped up in that. And to me, a lot of the cultural things are 
it's knowledge and skills that managers need to have on a day-to-day -day basis. And this is where you need to coach. How can I be a better listener? Oh, I have this tough employee that's driving me nuts, right? How do we, how do I work with this person? And a great coach can give some ideas based on their experience, right? On how you might structure a conversation. What triggering questions do you want to offer, right? What are some words that you can use um, to, to solve the problem, right? Are there creative solutions out there? So on and so forth. And, you know, to me, it's, that's a one form of coaching, but I think that's really important. And I think those little behaviors, like you said, are the things that lead to a healthier culture or cultures that fit together, you know, right. builds trust, right? Builds right. respect. I thought it was right. great. Yeah. All right. And what I, do you I, think? Yep. I was just going to say one other thing. I, I agree with the, you know, skeptical of coaches comment you made. Um, I, I think there's a couple of comments I want to make respect to that. One is, I, I, I think you, this, this is a very personal type of relationship you have with a coach, I think. So you, you have to figure out, you have to find one that clicks. It's, it, it, it's not just like one coach fits all. So you got to, it's almost like, you know, finding, finding a counselor, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. or, it is. It's or a therapist. Absolutely. It's a therapist. There you go. Better word than counselor, a therapist. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Right. So, and, and that may take a little while. I think the other thing you need to think about is you want to be specific about what you're trying to accomplish and do with, by having a coach, you just don't want to go to a coach and say, Hey, make me a better person. <laughs> right? yeah, make me happier. That, right. right. That's, that's just too, right. It's like you said, look, I'm having, I'm having a difficulty in this area of these types of conversations or with this individual or, and, and there's different types of coaches. Again, I go back to the sporting analogy, right? There's, you know, in football, there's, there's, there's blocking coaches and there's tackling coaches and, 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 and there's nutrition coaches and, and there's nutrition, training, right. There's, and, there's right. all these different things and psychological, and, right. You know, so yeah. which things do you need help with? And then you need to find a coach that sort of specializes in that area. So right. I, that's just, that's the comment I'd, I'd make about sort of coaching in general. I totally agree. And I think some people are spend more time thinking about who's going to cut their hair, which is also important, right. Then who's going to be their coach, you know? <laughs> yes. So yes. Excellent point. But but I appreciated Stephen's approach to this. I appreciate that he's basing it on some research. This is always good. Um, you know, and again, thanks for having him on. I think that um, he definitely has some interesting insights that were valuable. But let's wrap it up. I think listeners, thanks for joining us today. We hope that you found this episode interesting and thought-provoking. As always, if you have questions about what we've discussed, please get in touch with us. Our email is bela.and.mike at gmail.com. Hey, and please do follow the podcast if you haven't already. Uh, so until next time, signing off from upstate New York. See you soon, Mike. That's great, Bela. As always, thank you. And from over here in Münster, Germany, we'll see you and everybody else next time.